This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner-nominated Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hacha! Hi, this is Tim Mayer, artist and co-creator of The Anywhere Man. The Anywhere Man. The name of the book is The Anywhere Man. And you're listening to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt, The Anywhere Man. Are you sure? Yes. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, it is my pleasure to welcome you to episode 155 of THN. I don't think I've done anything 155 times. Where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, March 19th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter at Matt Baumstein. And when I'm not chumming the waters of the internet comic book rumor mill, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not desperately trying to figure out Matt's sources, but stymied by his journalistic principles. Journalistic principles? That's right. That's if right. you had journalistic principles, you wouldn't be spreading unsubstantiated rumors. I said it was unsubstantiated. That was part of my principles. I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of the upcoming hit webcomic series, The Untold Tales of the Two-Headed Nerd. The pencils for the first strip are done, y'all. I just wanted to be finished. And he knows it. I've got an omnibus written. In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of Sovereign, number one, and The Anywhere Man, number one. After that, we'll review ten more of this week's new comics. Faster than Abe Sapien can backstroke during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where our buddy Johan will be listening to the dead talk about the secrets of next week's comics. And then we'll review Down, Set, Fight! During our Take a Look, It's in a Book segment But before we get started Let's wish Hellboy a happy 20th birthday The good peeps at Dark Horse made Saturday, March 22nd National Hellboy Day So we decided to make this a spectacular episode To celebrate 20 years of the big red guy oh, I can't wait to hear the soundtrack for this Happy birthday to you <laughs> Now let's talk about this week's Big News We got big Disney held an investors meeting this past Tuesday, and while that usually wouldn't be too newsworthy, this time the meeting yielded some news that should be of great interest to comic and animation fans. Disney president Bob Iger announced that Pixar is finally developing a sequel to the best Fantastic Four movie ever made, The Incredibles. Oh, I was hoping for another Cars. <laughs> oh, they're making that too. Great. No other information about the project are available other than that Brad Bird, writer and director of the original 2004 film, is currently drafting the script. Matt, my only questions are what took them so damn long and how long do we have to wait? I know. I know. And picture this. Marvel owns fa- the rights to the Fantastic Four. I know. And they do a 60s oh, but they don't. version. I'd say picture oh, this. Oh, I'm okay. I'm looking oh, like I'm looking wistfully yeah, yeah, yeah. into, the, into the distance. <laughs> Marvel slash Disney owns the rights to the Fantastic Four, and they give us a Pixar Fantastic Four story set in the 60s. Oh, God. Oh, man. It would be so great. That's the dream realized. And it's funny and it's ridiculous. I don't even care if it's a live action movie, you know, ever. Again, just do it that way and I'm in. Yeah. That would be so much fun. But it's not. I love The Incredibles. A sequel to The Incredibles will be a ton of fun. It, like People have been asking for it literally for years. Yeah, I don't know why it took this And long. now we're going to get a third car. Listen, this will be the fourth Cars movies movie because you know fucking Planes is a Cars. Yeah, but Planes uh, was a direct, spinoff or whatever. It was a direct to DVD. 
Did it wasn't just, though. No, it was, and they, there were ads like in the movie theater for it. Bear with me. It was supposed to be directed DVD, and they uh, kicked it to the theaters. It was like the first ever Pixar movie that critics were like, thumbs down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for this. I can't wait. Yeah. I hope that every, they get everybody back. Craig T. Nelson, he's still alive. Oh, of course, they're coming back. These yeah. guys, they it's a huge paycheck. It was a ton of fun. Everybody loved it. If you didn't like The Incredibles, you're probably a jerk. Samuel L. Jackson does nothing but comic book movies yeah, I mean, now. Give me a break. That's his job. In TV news, Deadline has reported the long-suffering Powers TV adaptation has become a reality, but you might not find it on the network. You expect Sony Pictures Television is now producing Powers as an hour-long drama for distribution exclusively on, wait for it, the PlayStation Network. Powers is a long-running superhero crime series co-created by Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Avon Oming, following detectives Christian Walker and Dina Pilgrim as they investigate superpowered homicides. Writer Charlie Houston is writing an all-new script for an all-new pilot, and it seems like Sony is tossing out any development done by FX up to this point. Ten episodes of the series have been ordered by Sony, who joins the original streaming content game alongside Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon. Joe, good fit? Or, as an Xbox owner, do you feel a little cheated? I'm happy that it's happening. I'm happy that it's moving forward. I am too. I. It's a weird decision to me to say that it is PlayStation Network exclusive. Here's my question. Do they already have... Anything else like this? Do they have like any dedicated streaming content? I, I the, what I read said something to the effect that they have previously been serving as a distributor for an anime. Okay, but this would be like the first thing of its like for certainly the first like hour long drama. Like I'm an Xbox guy myself, and I use right. my Xbox to log into Netflix, and uh, I guess that's really about it for streaming. But like, right. yeah, you know, I I mean, I'll use it to watch Netflix occasionally, but I, this. This seems like a bad idea to me. And this seems like the kind of thing that's not going to force me to buy a PlayStation, but it will force me to steal this from the internet. You know? <laughs> sure. I mean, this like, is my question. Come on, guys. If players already pay to be part of the PlayStation network, how does adding an expensive original series benefit Sony? Yeah. I, I don't get it. I don't understand this move. Do they think that this will sell more PlayStations? That's my question. Like, wh what's the benefit for them here? Are they going to move into a whole streaming service? Is this just like the launch of that? Is this an experiment? And if it is, it seems like a really expensive experiment if they're going to do it and do it right. Right. My only hang up with the whole thing, like you want to say it's a Sony exclusive, that's fine. But to make it tied to a console that you have to buy. I don't get that at all. Like, do what Amazon does and say that you have to be a member of this service we right. provide well, and Hulu. then you can watch whatever you want. Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, they're already all doing this stuff, but it's available on your iPad. It's available on your computer. It's available on your Yeah, Xbox. yeah, and that's exactly right. And so it seems to me that it would be crazy for Sony to not make this available to non-PlayStation owners somehow. Right. It, it, like you're just shooting yourself in the foot. Even if it's that they just build this website for the Sony network that you can stream content from. Right, like I'll pay what, $14, $16 a month for HBO so I can watch True Detective or I can watch Game of Thrones. I'm not going to pay $500 so I can watch Powers. Right, and that is another thing, is that if they only have this one, they've got the anime and they've got Powers. Yeah. Whatever content they stream, sure, but is it enough content to support something outside of the console that people are already willing to spend money on? I don't know. It's a weird choice. It, it, 
And yeah, this seems, it seems weird. This seems ill-fated for the Powers but series. Microsoft announced something like this too. Like oh, a while ago, they announced that they were going to be developing an Xbox One exclusive Halo. Right. Like drama but, or I whatever. Mean, okay. That makes sense. Halo but, is an exclusive game to Xbox. Oh, well, and who's okay, going to sure. watch a Halo show? People that play Halo. Yeah, okay, that's a good point. You know what I mean? If PlayStation said, we're going to make an Uncharted series. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I see what, I see how you're working. That makes total sense. You bought a PlayStation, you probably play Uncharted. You will probably watch this. But Powers, I, I'm sorry. I would like a Power series to do really well. I'd like it to be great, and I'd like to watch it. I'm just going to steal this from the internet out of a curiosity to see what it's like. And you are shooting yourself in the foot by saying you can only watch it through this very expensive box. That limits you. I mean, that limits you to a very small relative audience. Yeah, I think you're right in that if it was something tied to Sony, right. uh, to the PlayStation brand, it would make more sense. Eventually, I have confidence that Powers will no longer be an exclusive Hopefully. I mean, I hope so. But the problem with this stuff, as with anything, if you look at like the early days of the internet where people were popping up as content providers, all the movie studios thought, we're all going to be our own content provider and you can buy a Paramount thing and you could buy a Fox thing. And everybody went, well, that's ridiculous. This pay model is never going to work. You have to open it up to everybody or it's going to be a failure. Yeah. This just strikes me as an old, dumb idea that's already proven not to work. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it develops and to see what happens. At the very least, it's good news for Bendis and Oming. I suppose. Good for those guys. Sony certainly has money to throw at them. <laughs> yeah. Finally, Marvel.com has announced that actor-comedian Patton Oswalt will join the ranks of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh-oh. When he plays Agent Eric Koenig in an upcoming episode. I think it's Koenig. Just because I have a friend named Dave Koenig, and that's how he spells his name. Agent Eric Koenig in an upcoming episode. In the comics, Koenig was a former Nazi and member of the Hitler Youth that defected to the side of the Allies before Hitler got all genocidal. He was a member of Nick Fury's Howling Commandos and helped form S.H.I.E.L.D. before dying in the pages of Jonathan Hickman's Secret Warriors. It does seem pretty likely that Oswald's version of the character will resemble the comic version in name only, But that hasn't stifled the actor's enthusiasm. Quote, I got a call from my agent saying they want you on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I said, hell yes. When they first told me the character's name, I'll admit the first thing I did is I went on Wikipedia and looked up the MODOK character to see if Koenig was maybe his name before he became (laughs) MODOK. But it wasn't. They keep talking about the clairvoyant on the show. And I'm like, is that MODOK? Am I (laughs) MODOK? Appearing to address criticism for the show, Oswald acknowledged that the tone of the show has started to shift. Quote, they're using the Jonathan Hickman model of wheels within wheels. It's getting into that John LeCar, Tinker Taylor, soldier spy world now, which creates even more tension because you don't know if someone is lying to me. Are they doing me a favor by lying to me? That's really great stuff to play as an actor. Now, Matt Bomb. Isn't this usually the point where you tell me how much you don't care? I, it's hard for me to get excited about Agents Shield. I'm sorry. I feel like they've dropped the ball. It's like- gotten it's gotten better. I'm not just apologizing for it. It has gotten better, I, and that's what I've heard. I, I guess I can't speak to it because I haven't. I, I you know what? I started recording them again hey, hey. with the Sif uh, episode. Yeah, I started there. I haven't watched it yet, so I'm a little uninformed here. I love Patton Oswalt. I. 
don't feel like he would attach himself to something that completely sucks. Although he was in Blade 3. He also was... <laughs> in Blade 3. Uh, completely sucked. <laughs> he also narrates the Goldbergs, which is not very good. And he was on many, many seasons of The King of Queens. Okay. Fair so enough. So let's not... I take it all back. <laughs> the, dude, the dude's got to work. I'm not, I'm not begrudging him his right to work. Right. I'm happy to see him on the show. I think the show has improved greatly. I'm excited to see him. They are really working in now a lot more Marvel stuff, like Deathlock is developing. Right. Sif and Lorelai were on the show. It only took them 15 episodes. Look, it had to find its footing. It had to develop its own mythology. Look, if they just made watered-down versions of the movies... Right, of course. No, I get that. It would be lame. Yeah. I understand. And then if it was also just like Marvel reference of the week, that would also be lame. Sure. They had to develop these characters, like them or not, they had to develop these characters into something that exists in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that's right. what they've done. Like it or hate it, Patton Oswalt's coming on to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think it's going to be fun. I'm glad he's making money. There you go. Jerking off to internet porn in my office when I should teach my daughter to read. Yeah. That is the big news for this week. If you want to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up at the THN forums where you can see pictures of Joe Patrick's dog humping my dog Beeps. And the funny part is her name is Penny and she's a girl. But Beeps is such a pansy that he just allows it to happen. He We're having a dog not, party in the ziggurat. He please. does not give two <laughs> Every Friday, my personal Modoc, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in our THN web forum just talking about it, which you can find by clicking the link at twoheadednerd.com. Joe, what did we ask the listeners this week? I thought you were going to say the Patton Oswalt to my Kevin James. Oh. Or yeah. something. I'm not giving King any, of Queens reference. Kevin James is not getting any run on this show. Sorry. The, all right. This week's question came courtesy of Wooly Toots himself, who cornered me at Legend Comics and Coffee. He cornered you? Well, he didn't corner me. We were having a conversation. Oh, okay. Or McWilliams stopped by. It was old home week. Didn't even know he was in f***ing town. Eh, you know, he was in and out. What epic comic storyline or finite series would you like to see reprinted in the deluxe absolute omnibus treatment? What storyline do you love so much that it should be enshrined in that fancy archival format? Great big, oversized, beautiful. Yeah. Something you can... $150 format. Something that you can put on a lectern and let a soft light shine on from above. There you go. You know the drill. There you go. You can call and leave a message with your answer using Skype. Our Skype handle is to edit nerd, all one word. Or... You can call the Ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894, but keep that under three minutes. Google doesn't like it when you go over. Just ask the TD dubs. It's true. Or you can send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com, but again, keep it concise because we've got a show to run and lots of people like to participate. Matt Baum hates that crap. He's just looking for an excuse to trim the fat. I can only stomach about three minutes of you. (laughs) If you need more time than that, we've provided a place for you to write to your heart's content. We call it the THN Web Forum. It's the coolest. We talk about it incessantly. Harvey Locust loves it. That's right. You can write your full answer there in the question of the week section. People will respond. It'll be a great time. It's review time on THN, where Joe and I barbecue two of this week's new comics because everyone knows those who can't do review. Joe Patrick, what'd you read this week? Those who can't do barbecue. Oh, also wait. true. This is me. And it all runs! 
times. Yes. We're like rappers. We are. We are like rappers. This week, I reviewed The Anywhere Man, written by Jeff Lawler, with art by Tim Mayer. This is a self-published comic book from the heart of Omaha, Nebraska. Here's your solicit of sorts. All the way up the butt of Omaha, Nebraska. (laughs) (laughs) This is a description taken from their website. The Anywhere Man is a three-part comic book series about a young man who gains the ability to teleport after an accident at a corporate laboratory. Young man. There's a place you can go. <laughs> the catch. <laughs> he can't control where he goes. He tries to run from the corporate goons who hunt him and from his personal problems that complicate things even more. Full disclosure here. Both Tim and Jeff are friends of mine. You son of a bitch. They're longtime legend customers and two of the immensely talented people that make up our monthly creators workshop. I may be a bit biased, so feel free. To take everything I'm about to say with a grain of salt. Map Bomb doesn't know these guys at all. I know Tim Mayer. Now you've met Tim Mayer. No. You don't know Tim Mayer. No. Oh, oh. Not like I do. You know him in a biblical sense? What's I, going on here? Listen, I didn't say anything <laughs> of the sort. Like, Jesus, I've never seen him naked. I admit that. <laughs> Only once. The description I read tells you everything you really need to know about the story. Frank Collins is an alcoholic military washout, living his life a drink at a time. After a drunken detour sends Frank careening through a laboratory, his life takes a turn for the weird. This issue bounces around in time and space a lot, and at first I found it kind of jarring, but upon rereading I find that the time and location jumps reinforce the idea that Frank's life is completely out of control even before his accident. Lawler and Mayer do an excellent job conveying the confusion and fear that Frank feels about his newfound power. Lawler's scripting shows a great deal of promise, and other than a few exposition-heavy pages toward the end, I thought that the issue was paced really well. There's a cliffhanger ending that I found genuinely surprising, and I'm really excited to see where the story goes from here. While the story is strong, the real star of the book is Tim Mayer's art. I'm a huge fan of his work, and watching his development has been a ton of fun. His style is incredibly unique and makes every panel interesting. Tim's sense of visual storytelling is very strong. The issue is laid out primarily in a series of page-wide panels, giving the whole issue a cinematic feel even when there are five or six panels stacked on top of each other on a page. The visual representation of Frank's teleporting is visceral and disgusting and uncomfortable and reinforces the sense that whatever has happened to Frank is not pleasant. Yeah, I like that when he makes the jump... Like his body turns him inside out. Yeah, it's awful. Gross. Even though I had nothing to do with its production, I can't help but feel like a proud parent seeing this comic on the stands. But unlike the malformed clay pots or macaroni mosaics that some parents get, Jeff and Tim have turned in something genuinely impressive. The Anywhere Man is on sale at Legend and online at Tim's website. I'll make sure to have a link in the show notes. I'm giving this a strong buy it. Okay. Well, I did not personally give birth to Tim nor Jeff. I didn't give birth to nobody. You called them your parents. I felt like a parent. I thought this was great. I thought they did a great job. And I get get really herky-jerky. And I know we constantly tell you guys to send us your comics and stuff. I get really nervous about reviewing stuff like this. Uh, Guys that are developing. Yeah, developing stuff because it's so easy for us to look at like the comics that we read every week that are slick and produced and sexy and then look at this other stuff and go, well, that sucks. That's not the case here. They actually put together a really nice product. The story is really solid. I like the hectic nature because it reinforces the fact that this guy is not only out of control of his powers, but his life was out of control to begin with. So it follows suit. 
that when he gets a power like this, it makes everything even more wackadoo, you know? Mm -hmm. I thought they did a great job here. I really enjoyed this. I'm also giving it a very strong buy it. I've known Tim for a while. He's good friends of my wife, Casey, and I's friend, Ryan. Mm, yes. And right. uh, he's, I've seen him sketching and drawing for years now. And this, he's gotten better and better and better. This is fantastic. And I hope the best for both these guys. Huge buy it. It's $4. It's very affordable. I have it on good authority that Tim is also trying to get it onto Comixology. Oh, cool. So if you don't want to order a print copy online, you're not an Omaha local, stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. <laughs> young man, there's a place you can go. I said, young man, when you're short on your dough. Matt, what did you review this week? This week, I read Sovereign, number one, from Image. This is written by Chris Roberson with art by Paul Mayberry. Here's your solicit. In a world where gods, demons, and magic have slipped into myth, Sovereign tells the story of masked undertakers facing the undead with swords while civil wars threaten the delicate balance between colliding cultures. But out of the ashes of history rises a new threat and a promise that magic has not yet faded into mere memory. This new series has been likened to Game of Thrones in all the press material leading up to its release and for good reason. Roberson chooses to tell the story in three parts following three very different stories. First, we meet a group of Luminari hunting the flesh-eating dead. Second, we meet a prince of the Horse Lords, which I'm not sure how that can't be a Game of Thrones reference, who seems to be dodging his political responsibilities. And finally, we see a giant undead beast attacking a ship somewhere. It's funny because just last night I was having a discussion with some friends that started watching Game of Thrones recently and they found the show absolutely impenetrable because of all the names and the families and the cities that get thrown at them in the first episode. And I kept telling them, stick with it. It's going to sort out. You'll figure it out. It's so good. It took me about four episodes and then I was like, okay, I see what's going on. I had a very similar experience with Sovereign trying to figure out what the hell was going on with Roberson's fantasy world. And there was a lot going on here and it just was not fleshed out. Their narrative probably would have been better served by breaking the three short stories into three separate issues, perhaps. There was just too much too fast with too much jargon for me to care about or even really understand what was happening. I love Paul Mayberry, and he does a really nice job here with his soft, sort of Mobius-inspired style. But the art didn't help to clarify the story at all. Case in point, one of the members of this Luminari group, there's three of them that are traveling together to investigate the angry dead, whatever you want to call him. He's either wearing some type of skull-faced armor or... He has a skull face. <laughs> I could not really tell. Well, that that part, you know? that part, there, there is a panel where they show him pulling down the skull mask. I, I later on, I guess, but while I was looking at it, I was just like, "What am I seeing here? Is this a human being?" It, like, it was not very obvious that it was a person in armor. The woman that was traveling with them was obviously a woman wearing a mask, but his armor, the way that the stylized way that Mayberry drew it, it wasn't very clear what I was looking at, and. The book, I don't want to say suffered because of that, but 
it really didn't clear up the story at all, I guess. I just could not get into this. And I have to wonder if it would read better as a complete graphic novel. I understand that it'd be probably harder to sell as a complete graphic novel with a $20, $25 plus price tag on it. But I don't know that breaking it up into issues is going to do it any favors either. I'm giving this a leave it. I thought that it was very well produced and packaged. Absolutely. Like it's divided in chapters. It's got nice chapter headings. It's yeah. got uh, it's got a section in the back full of back matter. But I totally agree. It is so full of the mythology of the world that it's hard to take it all in. Right. It suffers under its own weight. Yes. It suffers under its own weight. And the three stories are so disconnected and not enough time is spent with any of them. And so the result is that you don't care about any of them. Yeah. At least that was my experience. Well, I didn't just not care about them. I put the book down and I went, what were those three stories about? Right. Like I I couldn't connect with them. It's not that I didn't understand the moments that I was being shown. It's that I did not understand why I was being shown what I was being shown and where it's going and how it ties to anything else in the book, if at all. And I am here to tell you, there is nothing in any of those stories that makes them connect to each other. Yeah. They get points for trying a different tactic. I mean, it's certainly a different kind of storytelling than you're used to. It's not presented in a familiar way, but ultimately I think the experiment is a failure for me. Exactly. And while I thought that it was, it, it's not that it's not well written and it's not that it's not well drawn. It's that the execution of the yes. story. Yes. Does not work for me. There's talent here. It just falls down in execution. And so, it's got to be a leave it for me as well. Yeah. I will not read any more of this. I, I I have no reason to. Right. So that is a double buy it for the Anywhere Man, number one, and a double leave it for Sovereign, number one. I'm sorry, Chris Roberson. Of course, we want to know what you teleporting drunks and Game of Thrones fans thought of these comics, so mount your favorite horse lord and ride him to your computer and mule kick us with your opinions over at the This Week's Comics section of the THN Forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. You should just go there. It's a great site. You'd love it. You'd have fun there. If there were more of you, we probably wouldn't talk about it quite as much. It's true. Upon hearing that Abe Sabian was bragging about his backstroke speed, we decided to call a couple of other fast swimmers to see if he's all talk. So join us in the stands at the THM Aquatic Center. It's new. We built it out back. Oh, yeah. Where we'll be watching Abe defend his boasting in a 500-meter backstroke race against Namor the Submariner, Aquaman, and Merman from He-Man. Yeah. And we'll find out who's the fastest fishman as we review 10 comics during this week's Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed! Go! 16-Bit Zombies, number one, from Antarctic Press. Antarctic Entertainment. Ooh, yes. I chose this one based on the cover alone, which features a very cool 16-bit rendering of a zombie. To my dismay, the whole book was not rendered in the same graphics as the cover. (laughs) It is not, no. Not that the art is bad. It's cute, anime-inspired, black and white. The story is also cute about a zombie invasion in a essentially a Neo Geo video game universe. 
the same company that brought us to stand up arcade games that featured King of Fighters, Fatal Fury, oh, yeah. Metal Slug. Samurai Showdown, man. Oh, I loved those, man. Had they done the whole story in the same 16-bit style of the Neo Geo, this would be a huge buy-in. But they didn't, so let's get it. I love Metal Slug. American Vampire, second cycle, number one from Vertigo. I'm really glad this series is back, if for no other reason than it gave me a chance to finally get caught up on Volume 1. Scott Snyder and Raphael Albuquerque are back in top form with Pearl, Skinner, and all of your favorites along for the ride. The team hasn't lost any steps during the hiatus, and this issue was a great reintroduction to the series and the story so far. Buy it. Buffy, season 10, number one from Dark Horse. Buffy is back with the whole gang, and magic has returned to the world, but along with it comes some new rules. No spoilers here, but writer Christos Gage does a fantastic job with the voices of the entire Buffy cast and brings the Angel and Faith series back in line with Buffy as well. Artist Rebecca Isaacs is so damn good here. If you love the Buffy TV series, you'll love this comic, but it is very continuity heavy and not the best place to jump on. Still, giving it a buy it, because that's not the fault of the book. This is what it does. You realize that saying that magic is back in the world is a huge spoiler, right? Well, it's also in the solicit. Oh, well, fair enough. Yeah. Ms. Marvel, number two from Marvel. Kamala Khan tries to make sense of what happened to her after getting hit by the effects of the Terrigen Bomb. Her struggle to understand, find her identity, and her place in the world is a story that's completely relatable to everyone, not just teenage girls or Muslims. Listen. I'm not, I, know, I know, I know, I know. She's a like, teenage girl. She's like, not just teenage girls and Muslims. No, I mean, it is, it is, don't think that you don't have a gateway here because you do. Look, this book is really shaping up to be something special. This is wonderfully written, beautifully drawn. I told you when I read number one, I wasn't a fan of G. Willow Wilson. This is good. Yeah. Huge buy it. She's talented. Harbinger, Bleeding Monk, number zero from Valiant. Writer Joshua Dysart gives us another philosophical and historical Harbinger story, this time showing us the untold origin of the Bleeding Monk. Fantastic writing, as usual, from Dysart. And artist Kari Evans is completely solid with excellent backgrounds by the way his backgrounds are so well fleshed out i love it the bleeding monk is even more interesting now that his origin has been told and that could be really hard to pull off see wolverine origin for example buy this <laughs> and bonnie number one for blue juice i want to say annie bonnie so bad there is no i in there i know but i want to say it i became aware of this series by seeing it on the customer's previews order form it was probably Willie Toots, to be honest with Why you. Why is he ordering this? Hey, dude likes uh, fantasy pirate stuff. All right. What a pleasant surprise. This was really fun. A great story about a young pirate lass in possession of a mythical ship and on the run from her evil guardian. Funny, well-drawn, and great fun for all ages. It's a little violent, so maybe 10 and up, not necessarily like okay. 5 and 6. Still, buy it. I really liked it. There's a part where Anne Bonnie disembowels that little kid. There is a fight between <laughs> two pirate ships and some dudes get stabbed. Oh, I mean, it's pirates. They're pirates. The Witcher, number one from Dark Horse. This is based on a video game series that follows the monster-hunting Geralt of Revia. I never played the game, so I can't say if writer Paul Tobin's version of the character holds true, but I can say that he wrote him well, 
I just found it a little uninteresting. Joe Quiro's art was very good, though, and he did a fantastic job introducing us to the Witcher's world. I just wasn't totally hooked. If you're going to read a historical Monster Hunter in the Dark Horse U, I'd stick with Lord Baltimore. I'm giving this a skim it. Clockwork Angels, number one, from Boom, the Rush comic book that Joe Patrick snatched from me, one of the biggest <laughs> Rush fans in the world. Lord Please save me from comic books based on novels that are based on concept albums. Yeah, who knew this was going to be a genre one day? Yikes. <laughs> Sci-fi novelist Kevin J. Anderson adapts this story based on lyrics by Rush drummer Neil Peart. It's a nicely realized fantasy world with allegories as subtle as a brick to the face. It's not really my thing, but there's nothing really bad about it other than maybe some overly flowery dialogue. And the painted art by Nick Robles is gorgeous. What else is he done? I have no idea. Oh, yeah, I've never seen the name. Uh, I'm giving it a skim. It, it, like I said, it's not my thing. Beautiful to look at. Cool. Iron Man number 23 point now from Marvel. This story is called The Rings of the Mandarin, part one. But don't get excited. This is not the Mandarin as you remember him. Instead, we get Malekith, the yeah. dark elf that fought Thor recently in his series and still looks nothing like the Lord of the Rings slash Star Trek villain we got in the last Thor movie. He's collecting the rings, which seem to be acting like Green Lantern rings. They're talking and they're looking for new owners and stuff, one of which ends up in Malekith's hands. And guess what? He wants them all. But no Thor, which I don't get at all because Thor and Tony are on the same team last time I checked. But don't worry, Dark Angel is here <laughs> in an attempt to try to get us to care about the Marvel UK relaunch, I guess. I like Luke Ross's art, but it did not work here for me. It just doesn't live up to the high-tech feel this book needs, and the colors by Guru Effects were out of control way too much. I can only give this a skimmit. Hmm? All right. Three new stories, one shot from Fanagraphics. Well, funny story. It turns out that this one shot is a year old and was recently reoffered by Fanagraphics, but hey, it's new to me. In fact, the reason I found out that this was a year old was by stumbling across an interview written by THN's very own Jason Sexier. Oh, no kidding. That's right. Nice job, Sax. Cartoonist Dash Shaw offers up three very odd stories in this hit-and-miss issue. I liked the first story about the Sherlock Holmes-type investigator that has to find a new place in this world and ends up in a school seemingly tailored to let underdeveloped adults recapture their youth. Weird. It's all super... Like people wearing diapers and like, well, oh, not, I'm a baby. Not like that, no. <laughs> On the other hand, another story just seemed like a straight adaptation of a scene from Girls Gone Wild without adding anything more poignant to it. It, it is an odd assortment. Are, and Are there poignant parts to Girls Gone Wild that I missed? No, but I mean, <laughs> I, I thought, like, I would have expected it to he, him to be saying something about oh, this. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. But no, it's just like a scene for scene, like cartoony version of a scene from... Well, it, I'm interested. It's odd. <laughs> Shaw's mix of cartooning and Photoshop backgrounds is very interesting visually, but story-wise, I thought it was a bit of a mixed bag. I'm giving it a skim it. Shrimp! That is your ludicrous speed round, and shrimp is the sound of Spike. Ripping a dude's shirt off purely for combat reasons, as seen this week in Buffy Season 10, number one. After stuffing ourselves full of overpriced Chuck E. Cheese pizza for Hellboy's birthday, apparently it's his favorite, Joe, myself, and the BPRD's very own Johan retired to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Johan unplugged his suit and emptied his gaseous spirit form 
right up our noses. And truth be told, it smells really bad. It's rank. But his spirit form did allow us to glimpse into the future of next week's comics. Joe, what are you pumped to read next week? Man, I am excited for Silver Server number one. Oh, I am too, dude. Oh my god. Yeah, Marvel I'm so excited. <laughs> this is from Marvel Comics, written by Dan Slott with art by Mike Allred. Here's your solicit. The universe is big, bigger than you could ever imagine, and the Silver Surfer, the lone sentinel of the skyways, is about to discover that the best way to see it is with someone else. Meet the Earth Girl, who's challenged the Surfer to go beyond the boundaries of the known Marvel U into the strange, the new, and the utterly fantastic anywhere and everywhere. Hang on! It's like Doctor Who. It's like the Doctor Who surfer. on a surfboard. Sounds great. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in too. I am excited. This book, I feel like I've been waiting for this book forever. Yeah, this is definitely like the Silver Surfer book that you have been waiting for. <sighs> Pick it up, you guys. Support this one. It's going to be fun as hell. Matt. What's your pick for next week? I was going to pick the all-new Ghost Rider because I'm excited for it because I love Trad Moore and I want that guy to make money. But I'm going with a kid's book here. Hold on. No. Stop the presses. I'm doing it. <laughs> Rocky and Bullwinkle, number one from IDW. This is written by Mark Evanier with art by Roger Langridge. <laughs> Here's your solicit. They're finally here. Welcome Bullwinkle the Moose and Rocket J Squirrel back to comics in this very special first issue by fan favorites, Mark Evanier and Roger Langridge. Rocky and Bullwinkle must stop the evil Boris and Natasha from duping a wealthy philanthropist in the psychic sidekick. And when Dudley Do-Right tries to woo the beautiful Nell, will snidely whiplash get away? I love Rocky and Bullwinkle. I grew up watching the Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons. I used to get up at six in the morning to watch them in whatever station they were on in Waco, Texas, when I was in the weird religious compound back in the day. But were you a Branch Davidian? No, but we did live next door to him. My father loved Rocky and Bullwinkle. He introduced me to that show years and years and years ago. It is still absolutely hilarious. Totally wonderful. I love Mark Evanier. And Roger Langridge is so good at aping whatever old school cartoonist you need. Like, I'm not convinced he's not several different people. This is going to be I don't fun. Know, it's not even so much that he apes them. It's that he... He breathes his own style into an existing style and makes it something better. I suppose, but like he's also so good at maintaining what we recognize right. about that style. Like the Popeye work that he did was incredible. Right. Absolutely incredible. And you can tell he loves this stuff. Both of these guys are like cartoon historians and they're going to nail this. I can't wait for it. The THN Trade of the Week is Helheim, Volume 1, Witch War, written by Colin Bunn, with art by Joel Jones. But One. there's like some weird umlauts over it, so it could be like, Joel! <laughs> it could be, yeah, there is an umlaut over it. Once the threshold of Helheim is crossed, not even gods can escape. The age of Vikings, savage wild men, dark creatures, and hideous undead are pawns in the war between witches. A hero named Ricard pays the ultimate price in this conflict, but his fight is far from over. Raised as a Draugaran undead killing machine, Ricard is meant to be used as a weapon in the supernatural conflict. But Ricard will not be controlled. And where the Draugr treads death follows. This is Cullen Bunn 
bringing the six Viking gun Frankenstein to Vikings. <laughs> it's it's like, awesome. It's totally great. I love this book. Yes, Helheim is great. Of course, we want to know what you're looking forward to reading next week. So after you're done singing your favorite Chuck E. Cheese hits, let me tell you, he's no f***ing rocket fire explosion. Hell no. Let us know what you're planning on reading next week over at the THN forums. You know what to do. That's right. You know, when I was a kid, I, I thought that no, certainly no one else in America could possibly be experiencing what I'm experiencing in this show. Pizza. No way, dude. The Rock of Fire Explosion They're Robot Band. Hardest working band in the world. <laughs> they played like 60 <laughs> sets a day, man. It's time again for Matt and I to prove that our adult ADD medications are working by sitting down reading and reviewing an entire original graphic novel in a segment we like to call Take a Look, It's in a Book. This month, we're reviewing Down, Set, Fight, which is the only way I can say it, from Oni Press, written by Chad Bowers and Chris Sims of Comics Alliance fame, with art by Scott Kowalchuk. Downset Fight is the story of Chuck Fairlane, one of the most gifted and unstoppable running backs in football history. But after Fairlane is goaded into winning a game by his gambling father, he flies into a rage and fights everyone on the field, including Crockett, the mascot for the San Antonio Alamos. Little did Chuck know this would set off a cycle of fan-on-mascot violence that would lead to him defending himself against mascots from across the country. And the person behind the plot is someone he knows all too well. Joe Patrick, tell the kids about your downset fight experience. Comics Therapy okay. talked to Chris Sims and Chad Bowers on their podcast a few weeks ago. Downset Fight sounded like a great time, and I thought, hey, that would be a perfect book for us to do next month on Take a Look. Not to mention, it is the invention of a brand new genre, mascot ploitation. Mascot ploitation. <laughs> so, the actual Keith Binder was kind enough to loan me a copy. Wait a minute. The actual Keith Binder or the real Keith Binder? The actual Keith Binder. Oh, the actual Keith Binder. The real <laughs> Keith Binder is a mystery man. And I have to say, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I am more familiar with Chris Sims. I know that he's written comics. He's been self-publishing his own stuff for a while now. I think he's got a couple of things going for Monkey Brain. I know he's got work that you can find on Comixology for sure. But I know him primarily as a blogger and a writer for Comics Alliance. And I've been following his work for years. And so I kind of have a, a sense of, of his style and, and his tone. And so I kind of went into it thinking I knew what to expect. And while there is certainly a lot of what I thought I'd get out of a Chris Sims book, that kind of over-the-top a tournament where a guy is fighting mascots, you know, like <laughs> that sort of crazy idea. Yeah, sort of a Jean-Claude Van Damme blood sport starring dude and mascots. Right. <laughs> There's something else under the surface here. There is something a lot more serious when it examines the relationship between Chuck and his father. And I have to say, it was a lot more poignant than I was expecting. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. This starts... It, it's funny. This is very lighthearted. Yes, it is. It and is. it's packed full of humor. There's all kinds of references to old Super Bowl moments and like Super Bowl commercials and stuff. And they are definitely poking fun at professional gambling, professional sports, the culture of professional sports. Like we see 
that Chuck Fairlane's father has raised him to be the ultimate football machine. So right. much so that like, like comically right. abusive. When he was a kid, he would make Chuck Fairlane instead of running tires, he was running bear traps. Right. And like instead of tackling dummies, he was blindfolded and running across the street right. like in, in traffic. And I, you know? just, I realize I just said comically abusive, like that's a thing. Um <laughs> I mean, definitely abusive, but in a, but and it is funny in such an over the top way that it's like, oh, that's obviously ridiculous, right? But all the character's life, his father has been this antagonist that also made him who he is. You know what I mean? Like sort of like the old martial arts film where the evil martial arts guy shows up and like kills the kid's parents and then turns to the kid and goes, one day you train and you grow up and you come fight me. Right, yeah, <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> so while Chuck is certainly the product of his father's parenting and every lesson his father taught him is recalled at various moments in the book, right? what really spurs the action is Chuck's decision 10 years prior to be his own man and not fall under his father's thumb anymore. Right. In a moment of rage, he lashes out at everything around him. And the public, instead of seeing this as a story of like a man pushed too far by his gambling father, just sees a guy lay out a mascot. Right. It's, and a, like, it's a disgrace. Awesome. <laughs> you know? right. So it's got a lot more depth than you would expect from looking at it or flipping through it. Or even reading the solicit. Right. That said, it's also very funny. It's got crazy ideas, and it's full of, like Matt said, it's full of referential humor. For example, Chuck coaches high school football at Darius Rucker High School, <laughs> home of the Fighting Blowfish, <laughs> which is something in the background, and they never reference it again. Yeah. and But that's when I was hooked, because it's, it's such a perfect tone for this book. And the book's full of it. Yeah, just... Packed full of it. Not to mention the fact that Scott Kowalchuk, the artist, does an amazing job of making this look very much like a 1960s Luke Cage comic book from Marvel. Even down to the lettering by Josh Cratch, which is very throwback 60s Silver Age looking. It's set in modern day. People are talking on cell phones and there's high definition TV and stuff like that. But it very much has this Silver Age ridiculous feel to it. And it was just so much fun. Really well colored, too. Very, very well drawn. I love the art in this. Yeah, Scott Kowalchuk is somebody that's done professional comic work before. He did The Intrepids. Oh, okay. For Image. And he is the artist of The Mysterious Strangers. Right. And I love for, uh, the I Mysterious Oni, Strangers right? for Oni as well. This was originally supposed to be part of Oni's free digital comic offerings that ended up getting canceled. They announced this at uh, New York Comic Con in 2012. And it was going to be like a free digital initiative they were doing. For whatever reason, that got canceled. And now Oni is releasing these. So I'm glad it's being printed because it really is great. And this is the only way you can get it. By all means, pick this up. It sounds really hokey and ridiculous when you read about it, but it's very intelligently written. There's a moral here. The bad guy is actually multi-layered. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's complex. Yeah, I mean, I know that I know that our whole deal is to talk about this stuff, but it really is kind of hard to describe it how it's 
funny and lighthearted and also very serious. Yeah, you still like you you still learn something not just about the main character but about like the main villain who I mean, we just have to say it's his father because it's obvious from page one that his dad is the bad guy. But like his father made him who he is and put him through all this crap because that's all his dad knew how to do was to punish his child to make him better and make a little money off him. (laughs) Right. Like he's a hustler. He's He's a hustler and he's always looking for his next score. And his son has always been... A, a means to an end. I don't know if this was intentional, but I got kind of a weird sense that even though his dad is portrayed as this kind of user, in his own way, it does seem like, you know, he, that's his connection with his kid. No, it's there. It's definitely there. And, th- and I guess that's what I was talking about, about the villain being his father being multifaceted because he's a bad guy and he is a hustler and he's a gambler. But without this bad guy in his life, Chuck Fairlane wouldn't be as famous as he was. Right. Because, he wouldn't be fearless Chuck Fairlane. Right. And because so even when Chuck acts out against him and, and right. smashes through everybody that's sent at him, he's like, yep, that's my boy, you know? Yeah. And it, it's very, it's very layered and complex. It's a it's a, a great read. It is only $19.99. It's thick. I would highly recommend picking it up. I'm giving it a buy it. That's the parlance we use on this show. Big buy it for me as well. Uh, a strong effort from Sims and Bowers. We talked a lot about Chris Sims, but Chad Bowers obviously gets an equal share of the credit. Right. I, I don't know exactly how that was divided in terms of labor, but these guys are obviously a very talented writing team. And I look forward to the next thing they come out with. As you can tell, we had a great time with Downset Fight, but we want to know what you nerds thought. So head over to the Take a Look. It's in the book section of our forums and let us know. Next month on Take a Look, we'll be reviewing Andre the Giant, Life and Legend from First Second Books. This one is an advanced copy, so you'll have to wait until May to get yours. But... We'll tell you if it's any good or not. Right on. We are so important. We're getting this crap in advance now. Yeah. <laughs> like Aaron Meyer says, we are in the inner circle. Woo! Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like down this. Down. And that is it for the Hellboy's birthday episode of THN. If you love partying with demons summoned by Nazis as much as we do, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or Stitcher or tune in. We just got signed up to tune in. We're super excited about it. Where? We still need your iTunes star ratings and reviews. We also need your Stitcher thumbs up and your tune-in hearts. It's a little heart that you click to say that I love this because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you to all of our donors, but we feel a little bulge in our pants when we think about our... Yeah. No. We get boners. We are extra pleased by our sustaining members. Donor rhymes with boner. (laughs) Like Charles and Jeremy... (laughs) Thanks, you guys. If you'd like to help keep us in shitty pizza and birthday cake, you can make your donation in any amount using our animatronic PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. It looks like a bear. And if you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box 
and as little as a buck a month really does help. It really does. What was the bear's name? Billy Bob? Was that his name? Billy Bob? And he had the, like, stork that lived in the trash can that came out and sang with it. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> While you're there, you can find links to all our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and our Ziggurat hotline. 402-819-4894 The most important phone number you need to memorize using this stupid amount of resources. It is Billy Bob. Yeah. And the bird's name was Looney Bird. Looney Bird. Wow, they really thought that one through. Using this stupid amount of resources, you can beg the comic pushers for reading suggestions. You can hit us with your Ask a Nerd comic questions or trivia challenges or... You can ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, or whatever. And don't forget to go sign up for the THN forums. It's your little piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show. You can hang out with Harvey Locust, or you can just rap about comics. Here is the list of members of the Rock of Fire Explosion. Are you ready? I should be able to name most of them. Billy Bob, Billy Bob Broccoli, Looney Bird, Duke LaRue, Fats Geronimo. Fats Geronimo was my favorite. He was the ape that played. Yeah, of course. Beach Bear, Mitzi Mozzarella, Rolf the Wolf. Yes. Earl Schmurl, Sun, Moon, Choo Choo, and Antioch. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Antioch. Jesus. Now, Billy Bob was a solo act. He played on the side stage. He had a banjo and he played with Looney Bird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't part of the Rockfire Explosion. He was solo. Listen. He, he was like a folk artist. Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page and watch the forums if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. And if you want to hear our answers along with your own audio responses, be sure to check out the Two-Headed Nerd Answer of the Week podcast. If you already subscribed to this show, you've done enough. You ain't got to do a damn thing. It will just appear in your feet as if by magic every time we publish it. That's how much we love you. Next week... It's a fifth week extravaganza! Yeah! Here at THM. Back in the day, comic publishers used to pull all kinds of crazy crap in months with five new comic days. We like to follow suit. They say March comes in like a lamb and goes out like a lion. So next week, Joe and I will be counting down our top five weather wielders. That's superhero comics with weather powers. It seems self-explanatory. Well, you know, I mean... If you need more THN in your life, get over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out this week's offerings. We've got your ludicrous speed reviews with Aaron Myers. Very controversial. We've got your comics on the rocks with Cousin Chris. Very drunk. We've got a <laughs> we've got a Saturday morning cartoons coming up all about the tiger sharks. <laughs> Very thorough. Let's <laughs> say that the Incredible Hulk who lays it down, man. That's right. And many other fine items. Our weekly shout-out goes to Chase Magnet. And yes, that is a real person who returned from Planet Comic Con in Kansas City with lots of cool intros from comic creators for our show. Word to you, Chase. And if you want to be cool just like Chase, you can do the same damn thing, guys. Huh? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics, most notably Dan Slot's Silver Surfer because it needs your support and your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is a two-headed nerd signing off. Let's wrap up this damn puppy party. I declare this puppy party over. Say goodbye, Mabel.